I like to cook, and the one thing I've come to learn is that the best way to improve the flavor of any dish is to make sure you're using high-quality ingredients, which is why I love using ButcherBox to get all my meat, poultry, and fish products. They are far and away the best option out there, so if you haven't yet ordered from them, I highly encourage you to give them a try today. Not only do they give you tons of options, you can get any cut you want, and it's always top of the line, but... It's also way more convenient than going to the butcher or grocery store. They always provide free delivery right to your door. They have awesome ribeyes, strip steaks, and steak tips that have all the right marbling. Chicken wings, breasts, and thighs full of flavor, and their fish is all wild caught with no additives. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential. Three pounds of chicken thighs. Two pounds of ground beef or one pound of those premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash scarymysteries and use code scarymysteries to choose your free offer and get $20 off. So one more time, because this is key, new users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Use code SCARYMYSTERIES and get $20 off your first box. Hey everyone, I wanted to give you a heads up that the highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. So if you're looking for more true crime content, go check it out because Proof is an awesome investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling, when they were just 17 years old. And 25 years later, on December 8th of 2022, both men were finally freed, all based on evidence unearthed by Proof. Now in the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling to the streets of Manteca, California to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June 5th of 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Rene's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season and follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There are few things more satisfying than seeing a victim of a brutal crime attain justice. Sometimes it happens out of the confines of the court system. Other times a long trial takes place, but in the end, one way or another, those who were the underdog, taken under sinister circumstances, emerge victorious, showing us all the importance of fighting back and being brave and never giving up. Hey guys, welcome to this Patreon-only bonus episode. 
I want to thank you all sincerely for the continued support. This one's for you. There are five kidnapped victims who got revenge on their abductors. Number five, the kidnapping of Bethany Arsenault. November of 2013, the peaceful community of Lafayette, Louisiana, was shaken to its core by a very dark story that would not soon be forgotten. Bethany Arsenault, a local resident and mother, found herself caught up in a living nightmare that it all began innocently enough. November 6th, Bethany met up with her ex-boyfriend, Scott Thomas, so she could pick up their child. Despite having a restraining order against them, these types of interactions were unavoidable. And, for the most part, it happened cordially, but on this day, it was different. Amidst rejection and desperation, Thomas was not in the right frame of mind, but he tried to play it off at first like everything was cool. Outside the car, he dribbled a basketball and passed it to Bethany, looking to have some fun, but she just kicked it back took her son and put him in her car seat. Before she could leave, Thomas went in for a hug, which she squirmed at, and Thomas snapped. He attempted to unbuckle the boy from the back of her car and take him, but Bethany sped off. After a brief chase, she stopped outside of a daycare center and started running with her son in her arms, yelling for someone to call the police. The witnesses watched as Thomas grabbed the woman and pushed her into his car, the boy left in the middle of the road. It all happened very fast, and overtaken by rage and desperation, Thomas ended up taking her to a dilapidated, abandoned house in rural Lafayette Parish, where, for the next three days, she would endure unimaginable terror. In the confines of that derelict structure, Bethany was held against her will. Thomas, tormented and unpredictable, oscillated between chilling threats and pitiful emotional breakdowns like, You should have just loved me. Why didn't you love me? His large knife and ominous presence was a constant reminder of the thin line between life and death that Bethany was forced to walk. But hope wasn't entirely extinguished. The news of Bethany's abduction ignited a fire of solidarity and determination within her family and the community. As law enforcement agencies launched their investigation, her relatives and friends mobilized, unwilling to stand idly by. Three days into her captivity, the sounds of ATVs echoed in the distance, a harbinger of the approaching rescue. Marcus Arsenault, Bethany's cousin, was among the search party, and upon finding Thomas's vehicle, they descended upon the house. Thomas forced Bethany to lay down on a filthy mattress with him out of sight of the windows. Soon, Marcus kicked down the door and a confrontation ensued. Thomas, cornered and desperate, lunged at Bethany with his knife and managed to stab her 11 times. As Marcus fired 11 shots, trying not to hit his cousin. He succeeded and killed Thomas. Just like that, the ordeal was over. Bethany, injured but alive, was freed from her nightmare, and Thomas's life ended on the dirty floor of the abandoned house, marking a grim end to a tragic episode. The legal system and recognition of the extraordinary circumstances 
chose not to prosecute Marcus, and Bethany was then reunited with her son. Number four, the coffin of despair. In the biting cold of January 1992 in Birmingham, England, an unsuspecting young estate agent named Stephanie Slater embarked upon a house viewing, oblivious to the horror that awaited her. Stephanie, a diligent worker at Shipway's estate agency, was 25 years old, full of life, and blessed with a loving boyfriend and a solid group of friends. But one viewing on that fateful day would snatch away the normality of her existence and plunge her into an abyss of terror. 51-year-old Michael Sams, a sinister man masked under the disguise of an interested buyer, seized Stephanie at knife point. He bound, gagged, and blindfolded her before he threw her in his car. Stephanie was driven from the heart of Birmingham City to a desolate workshop an hour and a half away in Newark, Nottinghamshire. Amidst the clatter of tools and the suffocating silence of captivity, Sams then subjected his prey to an unspeakable ordeal. He clamped handcuffs around her wrists and attached electrodes to her legs, telling her that if she tried to get away, he'd electrocute her. Stephanie found herself imprisoned within a cramped wooden coffin, essentially buried alive as the coffin was then placed inside a large wheelie bin. And for eight harrowing days, that's where she stayed being sexually assaulted daily. It was unknown at the time, but this wasn't Michael Sam's first kidnapping. Just a year prior, he had kidnapped a young woman, 18-year-old prostitute Julie Dart. He forced the girl to write a letter to her boyfriend demanding 140,000 euros, but there was no way they had that kind of money. She would then try to escape, at which point he killed her with a hammer. It's been suggested by criminal psychologists that since he knew the money would not be paid, that he had always intended on killing her. Back in her coffin, amidst the darkness surrounding her, Stephanie refused to give up. She knew she was in serious trouble and summoned up the courage to try and befriend the demon that held her captive, hoping humanity might penetrate the hardened heart of Michael Sams. Sams reached out to the woman's real estate agent, demanding ransom of 175,000 euros, fully prepared to kill her if he didn't get it. However, Shipway stood up and paid, hoping that he'd stay true to his word and, in fact, he actually did let her go. Freedom, however, did not mark the end of Stephanie's ordeal. It was but the first step of a lifelong journey marred by the shadows of that haunting experience. The voice of Michael Sams, a menacing echo, was finally silenced when his first wife recognized his sinister tones from a recording played on BBC's Crime Watch. And justice, though delayed, would finally arrive. He would go on to confess to the murder of Dart and the kidnapping of Slater, for which he received a life sentence. To Dart's grieving mother, he rather nonchalantly had this to say, I've been going over it, and thinking it's only fair that she knows I did it. I mean, obviously, I did do it. What can I tell her? I do feel sorry for her, yes. Number three, The Darkest Highway, Mary Vincent. 
15-year-old Mary Vincent was one of seven children growing up in Las Vegas. When her parents were going through a rough patch that was headed for divorce, she went out to California to live with her grandfather for a bit. The year was 1978. It was September, and when she grew bored of California, she decided to hitchhike in order to get back home. That decision would kick off an insanely terrifying and gruesome ordeal with a young girl. Walking along the road, she met up with a couple of other hitchhikers, and they chatted while thumbing for a ride. Eventually, a blue van pulled over, driven by 51-year-old Lawrence Singleton. He was riding solo, and when the three went to get in his car, he said he only had room for the young Vincent. He refused to give a ride to the others, who then warned the girl not to go with him. But she was desperate for a ride and naive at just 15, and so she just hopped in. The Singleton's blue van cruised through Interstate 5, Mary fell asleep. When she woke up about an hour later, an ominous unease slithered through the pits of her stomach. She realized they were not heading towards Vegas. An argument started where she demanded they turn around, which he eventually did, playing like he didn't know he had made a wrong turn. He eventually pulled over for a bathroom break, and Mary, who had her guard down, was hit over the head with a sledgehammer while tying her shoe. She was then thrown in the back of his van. When she woke up, she was tied up. Singleton then violently raped her. When he was done, he grabbed a hatchet and chopped off both of her arms. He ripped her out of his van and then threw her off a cliff, leaving her for dead. But Vincent managed to survive that fall. Knowing she needed to get help fast, she tried to stop the bleeding by dipping her wounds in mud and raising her arms above her head as she carefully climbed back up the cliff towards the road. Ultimately, she managed to flag down some drivers, who then helped her and got her to the hospital. Immediately, she worked with cops to make a composite sketch of the man, and he was soon caught. At trial, Vincent testified against him, and at one point, there was an instance where they were close enough to one another where he apparently told her that once he was out of jail, he was going to finish her off. Singleton went on to serve eight years of a 14-year sentence for the crime when he was released, and people couldn't believe he was freed. And sure enough, in 1997, after moving back to Florida, Singleton murdered a mother of three in Sulphur Springs. For that, mixed with Vincent taking the stand again at his trial, he would receive the death penalty. Singleton would go on to die at the age of 74 of natural causes while behind bars. Number two, the girl in the cellar. On March 2nd of 1998, 10-year-old Natasha Campush was kidnapped on her way to school in Vienna by a psychopath named Wolfgang Pricklapiel. The abduction initiated one of Austria's most extensive missing person searches, yet Natasha remained lost to the world. Pricklapiel would go on to hold Natasha captive for eight years in a windowless cellar beneath his home. The hidden underground room in Strassoff a small town just northeast of Vienna, became Natasha's entire world. 
In the confined space, the young girl was subjected to both physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, a prisoner to Priclopeel's sadistic whims. The girl's life during those 3,096 days was a gruesome blend of isolation and enslavement. The situation broke the young girl to the point where eventually, over time, she was allowed access to other parts of Priclopeel's house, though true freedom remained elusive. Natasha was compelled to fulfill domestic duties, living a life of forced servitude. This was her life now, and to a certain degree she accepted it, which perhaps her mind made her do, just in order to survive. Mm. With limited access to books and radio, she educated herself in the silence of her captivity. She had some semblance of a relationship as eventually he'd bring her on vacations and she wouldn't try to escape. However, even though it took eight whole years, she never stopped thinking about getting away. And eventually, when she was 18 years old, the opportunity presented itself. On August 23rd of 2006, she was given permission to vacuum Christopher Peel's car in the driveway. And when he was momentarily distracted on the other side of the house, she bolted down the street and ran to freedom in the form of a neighbor opening their door for her. She was then reunited with her family. Her escape opened her to a world that had considered her lost, sparking an avalanche of media attention and public intrigue as to how and why this actually happened. Rumors and speculation circulated in the wake of Natasha's escape. Questions about Priclopeel's motives and Natasha's condition were poured over. Some sympathetic statements from Natasha towards her captor suggested the possible development of Stockholm Syndrome, though Natasha herself dismissed such characterizations. Natasha's revelations about her captor's admiration for Hitler and his intention to make her feel like a victim of the Nazis painted a disturbing portrait of Priclopeel. The horrors endured by Natasha in her eight years of captivity underscored the chilling depths of Pippa Peel's depravity. Do you understand? Years after her escape, Natasha has carved out a life as an author and activist. She has penned books detailing her harrowing experience, transforming her trauma into a narrative of survival. As for Prickla Peel, the day that Natasha escaped, rather than face the authorities and public, he went down to the local train tracks, and he threw himself under an oncoming train and it all at the age of 34. Number one, blueprint for survival. One could never have predicted the terrifying ordeal that 17-year-old Jacqueline Maris and her 16-year-old friend Tamara Brooks would face on an otherwise ordinary Thursday night in Southern California. The teens were spending a quiet evening in an overload with their boyfriends when Roy Dean Ratliff approached brandishing a gun. At about 1 a.m. that morning back in 2002, the four of them were bound with duct tape before the girls were taken and their boyfriends left restrained and helpless. Ratliff, whose criminal tendencies started at a young age, was no stranger to the art of kidnapping when he carried them away into the darkness his sinister intentions veiled by the night. Yet amidst this terror, a formidable resilience arose within Jacqueline and her friend. 
as they were driven along desolate roads, a plan of escape, fueled by a potent mix of fear and courage, began to take form. The instruments of their defiance were as unassuming as they were effective. A bowie knife and a whiskey bottle, carelessly left within reach by their captor. They were driven two hours away to a wooded area of Lake Isabella, and with the girls secure in the back, Ratlet wanted to catch some sleep before continuing on with his plan. He was already wanted on unrelated rape charges. Seizing the opportune moment when Ratliff was passed out, the girls managed to work their way out of the duct tape cuffs and launch their daring escape. They stabbed Ratliff with a knife while also smashing a whiskey bottle over his head. The girls got out and ran. While the escape attempt didn't result in total freedom, it marked the beginning of Ratliff's end. Their kidnappers' fate had already been sealed on the highway before they even pulled off. As under the watchful gaze of Bonnie Hernandez, an animal control officer, she had heard about the kidnapping over the radio and was on the lookout for the man's Ford Bronco. Police pulled up shortly after the girls got out. Not wanting to go without a fight, gunshots rang out in the night. In the end, deputies had shot Ratliff, putting an end to this terrifying kidnapping. Jacqueline and Tamara, bearing the physical and emotional scars of their ordeal, emerged as symbols of understated bravery. They were two teenagers thrust into a nightmare who fought back and refused to go quietly. The bloody handprint on the Bronco and Ratliff's shattered glasses stood as testaments to the girls' fight for survival. In the face of imminent danger, they chose defiance over surrender. Good for them. So there were five kidnapped victims who got revenge on their abductors. Some seriously dark moments in these stories, but in the end, justice. And that is a wonderful thing to see. Wishing you guys the best of weekends out there. Thank you so much for tuning in today and supporting us. See you all very soon.